Greetings and welcome to The Second Question, a podcast for educators and those who love education. I'm your host, Martin Silverman, a public school educator from beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Now, let's answer the second question. Welcome listeners to this episode of The Second Question. It's been a little while, but I am happy to be back because I have to tell you listeners, uh, I'm definitely going for quality over quantity. Uh, in the episodes that we're doing, and we hit the jackpot tonight with quality. I'm so excited for you guys to meet uh, my new friend that we were discussing that we've kind of run in the same circles. We feel like we have known each other uh, for a while. Uh, I have with me Carly Spina, and Carly is a lot of things. Carly is an author. She's a speaker. She's a coach, an educator. She is currently the multilingual education specialist at the Illinois Resource Center. And so we're going to want to find out something about that. Carly, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the second question. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this. I feel like we've been connected for so long. So it's great to to sit down and chat tonight. Yes, definitely. Carly, You, I, I, this is kind of serendipitous. So on my way home tonight, uh, one of my teachers had sent me a TED Talk to listen to, just to listen to it kind of in the car on the way home. And the the story of the TED Talk was a writer from Africa who was talking about uh, the danger of of having just one story about learners, okay? And what she talked about was her experience um, as somebody from Nigeria and meeting people who had a different, you know, who had an impression of what somebody from Africa would be like based on one thing they've heard. And so it made me think that uh, that happens very, very often with our uh, multilingual learners. And so I wondered if you could give me an example of when you have encountered somebody uh, kind of making a judgment about a student based on their preconceived one story. Yes. And and I, I, I know exactly which uh, TED Talk you're referring to, and it's a really, really powerful uh, speech that she, she gives. But yes, you're right. This happens so often with our students who are multilingual. And it's it's interesting as we talk about our students, and we even talk about like, the words we use to describe our students, right? And like in the past, we were talking earlier about, you know, sometimes in the past, we would call students limited English proficient and start <laughs> by naming students by limitations or things that they haven't mastered yet. Um, when I first started in the field, we called students non-English proficient or NEP. Um, and now, you know, across the U.S., we're talking about emergent bilinguals or multilingual learners and looking at them from that, you know, that holistic point of, wow, <laughs> they have so many gifts and talents and things. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it starts at like the, the test taking companies, the publishing companies um, that are creating materials for students. Um, 
And as we go, as districts go and adopt different programs, they'll, they'll say things like, this is great for your struggling students and your multilingual learners or your limited English proficient students. And it's just so interesting that that has been the narrative for so long. And I feel like only until now have we really started to say, wow, this is really problematic language and, and we're we're pigeonholing our students and we're just saying, oh no, because they're multilingual, they must be struggling or because they're multilingual, they must be at risk <laughs> or something like that, right? We assign all these additional labels to students um, based on that one, you know, indicator instead of saying, wow, they're multilingual, like they have so many linguistic skills and assets and talents. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's heartbreaking, but um, it's also really encouraging because I think we're now having a lot of good conversations about, you know, kind of checking ourselves and, and checking that narrative um, and challenging it. Yes, no, I, I really appreciate you uh, making that point because one of the things, you know, one of my experiences as a teacher was I was a pull-out native language instructor for Spanish-speaking students in Houston. For a year, so I, I worked with K through five um, students who were learning English, and they uh, had to. Uh, they were, you know, as part of our bilingual education setup, they were to get an hour of native language instruction a day. But my students were everyone from a boy who came from El Salvador who had never third grade age had never been in school and was living through a civil war to students from Colombia who were, uh, you know, educated in top private schools and were, you know, supremely literate, very, you know, affluent. And, but they were all uh, bunched together at that school as the limited English proficient. And so what we worked on was trying to build the idea that, you know, not everybody here speaks two languages, but you guys do, you know, I mean, like this is a, a huge thing. And so tell me about that in your work. Um, we, yeah, definitely have a lot of similar experiences. Like, you know, we, it's so cool to be an educator of multilingual students because you see, you know, no single student, like no student has a similar journey. Every journey is so unique and different. Every, everyone's language journey is so unique and different. Um, and it's, it's interesting to think like, so we we had students um, in my previous district. We were we had, I think, sixty seven different language groups, and we supported kids across lots of different models. We had the kind of the push in support or in class support. We had the pull out support. Um, we had started to dabble a little bit with the co teaching, and um, but it was interesting because as we you know as I grew in my in my practice. And over the years, watched how things had changed inside of my own school and my school district. It was very much like when I first started, it was like, you're, you're going to tiptoe in here and support the kids quietly. Um, and you're only going to talk to those two kids from this class. And, you know, and then you're going to, you know, support them in secret and then and then drift away. Whereas now, um, you know, when I had, had left my uh, last school district, it was very much like, no, no, no. We're all here. We're loud and proud. Like we're going to post up all of the student, like all of the languages that we have in our classroom. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to put that on a poster and like 
brag about it and put it on the like a poster in the hallway and say, in this room, we've got 17 languages. That is so cool. And the kids who have those additional language skills, we're like elevating them and we're saying, no, 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 like you are top notch here. Like you've got all these extra skills that, you know, we don't have. And, um, you know, we can use our students and say like, you know, how would you say this? Or how would you describe this? And not not just like at the word level, but like phrasing is so different. And, um, you know, syntax, you know, all those different things are so different. But it's it's great for us to model, um, you know, how, how to be linguistically inclusive um, and how to celebrate linguistic diversity. Because, you know, and, and for many of our students, the students who were born in the U.S., their parents were also likely born in the U.S. too, and they went through schools and it was very much that like English only and don't speak your heritage language and don't let anyone know and don't pass down your heritage language, um, where now we can say, wait a minute, <laughs> if we're not passing that down, we're losing, we're losing a lot of, you know, the pieces of our family, the pieces of our culture and our identity. Um, so it's great when we have conversations like that with our students and with our teammates, um, because like it's that chain reaction. When one teacher starts to do it and say like, well, we've got 17, it almost becomes a competition. Like who's got more languages than 17? Like we, we let's beat them. <laughs> I love that. Hey, uh, Carly, I'm going to make an assumption that English is your native language, is it? It is, it is. Okay, so I want you to go back to your beginnings when you decided to become a teacher of multilingual students. What is, what's the root of that for you? So I grew up in Chicago, like on the north side of Chicago. It's a very linguistically rich community. We had just so many languages up and down the block. Um, but I grew up in a monolingual English-speaking household. Um, so on the block, it was really cool. Like in the summertime, you know, all the kids would be outside. And then when the streetlights come on, all the moms would come out on the porch and yell for their kid, like, it's time for dinner. And they would say it in their heritage language. And so, you know, over the years, we'd learned a few different <laughs> ways to say that. Um, but I hadn't I hadn't had the opportunity to learn a different language. Um, my own great grandmother came from Hungary, but she was discouraged from sharing language with the family. So it was just very much, okay, we're only going to speak English. And that was the only language we ever spoke. Um, and so then when I attended high school, we ended up moving out to the suburbs. So we said goodbye to our, <laughs> our wonderful neighborhood. Um, and I started to take Spanish classes because so many of my friends spoke Spanish. And so I wanted to connect with them. And, you know, we listened to all the music together. So I wanted to understand it. Um, and so I learned my additional language out of privilege, not out of a necessity, not out of a need to survive or a need to navigate um, or anything like that. And then I continued to take uh, Spanish classes. I never had the chance to study abroad or anything like that. Um, but... I continued, you know, continue my Spanish language journey. And that has really helped me um, in my work as supporting, you know, students when they see and they connect with you and, and then you start sharing, you know, a story or you share, you know, just a conversation, that relief that washes over a student's face, like, oh my goodness, I can like, I can just be myself right now. And like, they're guarding. Take a breath, right? I can, I can exhale yes. now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I know. I, you know, I have a very similar experience to you uh, as, as far as that goes. And um, I was wondering, so you work with teachers, supporting teachers, and you have for a while, you've been a coach and you support teachers. Um, when you go out to support a teacher who is newish to the field of uh, multilingual education, what are some of the best pieces of advice that you give them for working with their students? Well, one thing I always say is, um, you know, we like a lot of the ways that we teach is how we were taught as kids, right? And so we like, it's always important to be just so, you know, so reflective of that and just mindful of that. I remember being a student and like I had nuns, <laughs> many of my teachers were nuns for a few years and it was very much like, this is correct and this is incorrect and there's nothing in between. Um, and like they even still used rulers. They weren't supposed to, but if you made a mistake, they would tap, you know, they would hurt your hand with rulers. Um, but I remember just growing up with that and um, always just saying, okay, it's either right or wrong and there's, there's nothing in between. But then when we, when I became a teacher, um, I had to get really real because I was like, okay, not only am I trying to help students learn content, right? Like learn their grade level content, their science, their social studies, their math, all those things. But I also need to help them navigate the language of math and science and social studies and everything. Um, and so, you know, my first few years, I feel like I focused so much on, you know, grammar and, you know, vocabulary and expanding vocabulary and things like that. And, um, it was doing my students a disservice because I only focused on that and I focused less on meaning and making meaning um, and expressing meaning. Um, and so one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to educators is, you know, we, we can kind of disrupt that, that correct or incorrect. So if a student says to you, I was brooming the mess yesterday. We can say, yes, you were. You were brooming the mess. That's so cool. You took the noun, like broom, right? You know what it's for. You know how to use it. And you were sweeping the mess with the broom. That's so great. So that's always like one of my first things is like collect their language, collect whatever they're supplying you with and like hold it <laughs> because it's a beautiful expression. Um, and they're being so linguistically creative and we want to just embrace that moment and celebrate it. Like they're taking risks with language and that's a beautiful thing that they feel safe to say, I was brooming the mess. Maybe it's not absolutely correct, but you know, I can, I can take that and affirm their language. I can also supply them with the word sweeping. If it, you know, I could say, oh yeah, you were sweeping, you were brooming, but um, you know, kind of like calming our, our urgency, like our urgent need to, to fix and help and serve and build up, like just pause <laughs> and, and collect the whatever language that they're giving you and lift it up. And then again, you can supply it and continue building, but first elevate it and celebrate it. You know, um, as I'm listening to you tell that story, it is so much like how we learn our first language, isn't it? because our parents didn't correct us every time we made a syntax error or yes. a vocabulary error, they celebrated our attempts. Yes. And yes. if we took the attitude with our um, emergent bilingual students and said, 
we're going to do the same thing as you learn your second language, do it the same way you learned your first language and celebrate your attempts and build on that. You know, yes. when a, when a, when a baby says a word, no matter how they pronounce it, we clap and cheer and celebrate and we don't tell them that's not the right tense. You know, you didn't right. say that exactly right. And so right. Um, for sure, that's, that's definitely one of the things that is, uh, is important as they're learning their second language. And I think that's a great, um, a great message to give to a new teacher. So Carly, you are so passionate about this field that you recently wrote and published a book. Uh, and you should be extraordinarily proud of that fact. Will you tell us a little bit about the book? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful to EduMatch Publishing for, um, for, for publishing the book. Um, it's called Moving Beyond for Multilingual Learners. And I wrote it because I felt like it was a book I needed <laughs> as a teacher. Um, you know, there's a lot of books out there that are great theory books or great research books. And, and I love those. Like I'm a professional geek. I, I read all day long. <laughs> Um, and I appreciate books like that all the time. Um, but this book, I wanted to kind of, um, I weaved in a lot of different things, um, like a different elements of, um, of the role of a multilingual educator. So not only, again, not only the content and the language, but there's also all these other pieces, right? Like the helping a student navigate a new school that's in a new community and maybe a new country that's a lot. Um, having to explain to newcomer students what a lockdown drill is and why we need it. Um, and sometimes it happens like within their first week of school. And that's it's a, it's a heavy um, thing to unpack with a, with a new student, regardless of their age. Um, and then there's also the pieces of, of supporting our families who are also, again, navigating the community, um, trying to connect with the school that is mostly monolingual um, and you know helping them to, to bridge bridge that um, that piece. Um, but then also <laughs> like again, there's so many different elements in the book. Uh, another piece was like being informed as educators because we serve not only the student and the family, but we have to be connected to the community. So that way we can like if we are connected educators, we can best serve the families. Um, and so, you know, knowing about youth organizations, knowing about food pantry hours, knowing about how to, you know, if my car breaks down and I can't get to work now, that puts my family at risk. So that one like that one engine problem that could really be a domino effect for my family. So if I'm educated and I know what resources are out there, I can make phone calls or I can connect the family to the resources that they need. So I packed all of those different pieces into a book um, and each chapter starts with beyond something. So the chapter on family engagement is called beyond the newsletter. And um, the book was really designed to be just like a call to, to continue our growth. Like, you know, um, I almost called the book uh, Beyond Visuals <laughs> because that's always the like the blanket statement of like, that's the Band-Aid. <laughs> How do you help students who are you know new to their English journey? You just add visuals, right? <laughs> So how can we push ourselves and push our practice to move beyond that and go deeper and make, you know, deeper connections for the kids and the families uh, that we serve? So it was it was so cool and um, 
it was it was so neat for me to have the book out. Um, I also weaved in a lot of narrative pieces about um, my experiences, all the times I've messed up over the years and continue to mess up <laughs> as I grow and I, you know, get get better and better every day. Um, I, I also share like that piece of um, burnout um, that like I share a rock bottom moment um, in the book where, you know, you as all of us do, like we are helpers by nature, we want to serve. Um, and there's almost that element of like, well, if I don't do this, no one else will. Um, and it's it's a slippery slope and it's a, it can be a really dangerous mindset. Um, and a dangerous reality. And, and I didn't have good boundaries for a really long time. And I wasn't able to ask for help in the right way, in the way that I needed. Um, because if I wasn't asking for help, again, I'm hitting rock bottom. I'm not serving my own children um, at home. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of weaved all of that together in, in the book. Uh, that sounds like a really useful tool for teachers not only who are new but but those of us who have been you know around the block a couple of times so uh definitely thank you for for putting that out there it's definitely needed in our field so carly i want to move the, the conversation a little different direction so i want you to pretend that i am a benefactor i am not i'm a benefactor of stories uh but not money right uh, but pretend i'm a benefactor of money so i'm going to tell you that i'm going to give you enough money to travel to three countries that you would love to visit. And I'm curious if you could tell me what countries those would be and why you want to go there. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is so hard. <laughs> um, well, the first one I would say is Hungary um, because uh, that's a connection I have to my family. Um, my grandparents on that side are all past. My obviously my great grandparents are past. Um, so I think that would be a really wonderful place uh, to just, you know, feel connected to my family, my culture. Um, oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. I think another country I would love to go to is Mexico because I have never been um I was never able to study abroad or anything like that. And I used to feel so self-conscious about it. I almost felt like <laughs> people would say, oh, you speak you speak Spanish. Where did you study? And I'd be like, here. <laughs> and I almost felt embarrassed. But I was like, wow, I have to really unpack that. That's silly for me to be embarrassed about it. Um, so I would love to go to Mexico because it's such a diverse <laughs> place um, and all the different um you know, piece the regionalisms and uh, like the dancing from region to region is so rich and beautiful, and the music, the norteña, the um, like I don't know, all of it, all of it, the duranguense. Like I, I love dance, um, so I think Mexico would be wonderful, wonderful. And then I've always wanted to go to Italy. You know, like I feel like that's just. A beautiful place. There's a lot of similarities between the Spanish language and Italian. So maybe I could navigate a little bit, <laughs> but I would say those three. You know, you picked also three good eating countries. Those are three good eating places, right? I feel like you'd get a lot of immersion in the culture by uh, all the good food you'd get to eat in all those places. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> So Carly, originally when I started this podcast, the purpose was to honor the teachers that have 
uh, kind of made us who we are. And as a matter of fact, if you ever listen to my first episode, it that I do my own, and my teacher was my seventh grade Spanish teacher who, you know, opened my world, you know, to to yeah, I, a direct line from her to becoming a bilingual teacher in my in my mind. Um, so uh, the second question that I ask in all teacher interviews is, who is the best teacher you ever had, and why were they the best? So Carly. I'm going to ask you the question, who's the best teacher you ever had and why were they the best? Okay. So the best teacher I ever had was my fifth grade teacher. Her name is, was Miss White. I am Facebook friends with my teacher today. <laughs> and I still call her Miss White and she laughs and says, you can call me Christine now. And I'm like, nope, you are Miss White. <laughs> um, she was my fifth grade teacher at St. Hillary in Chicago, Illinois. Um, she now lives in Florida, but she was the best teacher because, um, I had just finished third grade at a different school and I moved to a new building, new school for fourth grade. We didn't know anybody. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of challenges, um, that, that particular year, not only with, you know, navigating a new school and things like that and social stuff. Um, but there was also a lot happening in my personal life at that time. And um, so I entered fourth grade um, and a lot of uh, challenging things started to happen, similar to what happened in my previous school. Um, and it was um, it became really scary for me as a as a kid who didn't know how to navigate those things. Um, and so I stayed in fourth grade for about two weeks and then there was a series of meetings um, and a lot of changes had happened and they decided to move me up into fifth grade. Um, and so I had two weeks of fourth grade and then I moved into fifth grade. So now I'm dealing with this additional change. I was just trying to get into like, you know, learning kids names in my classroom. And now I'm moving to fifth grade and I felt like a deer in headlights and people were looking at me now like, oh, why are you, you know, why are you here? Why are you in this room? Weren't you just in fourth grade two minutes ago? And, um, and I wasn't prepared. I didn't have answers. I didn't really understand everything that was happening myself. And I just remember Miss White coming like, hey, Carly, have a seat. We've got this is all set up for you. You know, this is your spot. These are your things. And she just made me feel like, oh, yeah, we've been waiting for you. Like, of course you're here. Um, and always just that was her attitude throughout the whole school year. It was just like, yeah, this is great. This is where you belong. Um, and I'll just I'll never forget. And her her demeanor was just that constant <laughs> for me. She never wavered um, in her attitude and how she treated me or my peers. Um, it was just a very consistent message um, and a, a sentiment that I still have. <laughs> so even when she posts things online now, I'm like, Miss White, you're the best. <laughs> you just, you know, she, she just helped me navigate everything. Um, and she never, you know, it wasn't one of those moments where she sat me down and said, Carly, like, this is what's happening and you're going to be okay. And here's all the steps to solve the problem. It was just her presence and her demeanor and, and being so consistent with that. So Miss White, love ya. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I'm hanging on from that story that I just love is you said she made you feel like you, they were waiting for you that you belong there, right? And, you know, it, it made me think as a school principal, if if our teachers could get nothing but that, you know, nothing but the lesson of 
when the kids come in the building, when they come in your door, um, make them feel like you've been waiting for them and you know, you're excited to have them there. I think that would solve uh, probably a bunch of our problems. So thank you for, for actually verbalizing that. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. So Carly, I know that people are going to be excited to hear your excitement and are going to want to get in touch with you and connect with you. How would somebody connect with you? So I am very active on Twitter. Um, you can connect with me on Twitter. My handle is at Mrs. Spina's class. Um, or I'm like, I am the, <laughs> I always laugh. I'm like, I am the friend that you would just like call me <laughs> or email me. Let's set up a time to Zoom or chat or brainstorm or like idea, like create ideas and stuff. Um, so you can email me anytime. It's carlymspina at gmail.com. And I, I get, I'm very serious. Like I Zoom with <laughs> teachers that I don't know very well, um, just because this is my jam and I get really excited to connect with folks. So those are two different ways to connect with me. Well, I know that people are going to uh, definitely want to connect with you on either one of those ways. And they would, uh, if they follow you on Twitter, they will definitely get um, some positive and uh, useful content. So thank you for that. Carly, I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, spend time with me uh, on on this podcast to talk about yourself and your uh, just incredible work with our emergent bilingual students. I really appreciate the work that you do. And uh, I just want to thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so wonderful and so much fun. I appreciate it. And that's it for today's episode of The Second Question. Thanks for joining us. If you like this podcast, subscribe and tell your friends. And don't forget to join us for the next episode where we will answer the second question. Thank you.